This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It is a Tuesday night. It is really the first Tuesday night of the postseason, I guess you could say, and it's time once again for Tide Talk here on the Built by Bama Online podcast. Travis Ryer, senior analyst for BamaOnline.com, joined, as always, by Charlie Potter, team insider and beat reporter for BOL when it comes to all things Alabama Crimson Tide. Coming off Alabama's 48-45 to defeat at the hands of the Auburn Tigers, in the 2019 Iron Bowl. Charlie, we haven't spoken, I guess, since uh, the, the game ended. And so uh, we won't go too in-depth on the event. So we've both written a lot about it there on the website. But, uh, you know, I know you've seen more than a few Iron Bowls uh, to this point. But uh, I got to think that one, in terms of twist turns, all those type of things, uh, maybe unlike even some of the the, the the crazy ones we thought we'd already seen. Oh yeah, it was it was a weird one. Um, and Tim might want to stop sending me. I've been to to Auburn four times, uh, once as a student, <laughs> and they've lost three of the four. So I don't have a good track record, Jordan here, at least whenever I'm in attendance. But no, it was a it was a wild game. Um, you know, going into it, I think a lot of people kind of felt the same way about how things would shake out. Um, I think everybody thought Alabama's deep or offense could do some things against its, uh, this this Auburn defense, and then you know the the question would be could they slow down the the rushing attack of, of Auburn with Bo Nix and their running backs, and it, that wasn't really uh, in the cards much at all. I mean Alabama's offense could could really do what it wanted to. Um, you know it, it shot itself in the foot a couple times with some pick sixes, which I thought Mac Jones played really well outside of those, and then. You know, the penalties with, with six uh, false start penalties, that's, that's hard to, to overcome. And then defensively, um, I thought they did a decent job in, in stopping the run uh, early on. It wasn't really Bo Nix that was hurting them uh, in, in the early portions of the game. But, like, it, it seemed any time that Auburn faced a third and long, you know, Bo Nix would just throw the ball up and the receivers would, would win those 50-50 balls. So, um I think a lot of it was kind of surprising of how it all played out. I mean, you had that wild sequence in the second quarter where they were just, you know, exchanging scores left and right. And then everyone knows what happened before halftime and then before the end of the game. So with just everything kind of culminating the way that it did, it was one of the the wilder and, and weirder iron balls I've ever watched. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And, you know, we do our predictions on BamaOnline.com. Charlie sort of coordinates that and, makes those happen uh, among the staff members, Tim Watts, Hank South, myself, Kirk McNair, Charlie. And, you know, when you do those predictions, you just don't really figure on like three non-offensive touchdowns <laughs> like we saw uh, on Saturday. So that sort of takes, sort of blows those predictions out of the water. I think I had it 26-24. I had 50 total points in the game, and the two teams scored 48. 
in the second quarter alone. So, so much for, for predictions, especially when it seems to come to iron bowls, not just iron bowls, iron bowls, uh, at Jordan Harris stadium. So with that, Alabama, as we learned earlier on Tuesday evening, falls to number 12 in the college football playoff rankings. Not a really important night for Alabama because the Alabama standard consists of the top four slots, the college football playoff. So you knew Alabama was out of that mix. Some intrigue, I guess, in terms of pecking order from a bowl perspective. Um, And so from that standpoint, Charlie, uh, how did you kind of come out of those rankings on Tuesday night looking at Alabama's bowl possibilities? Yeah, I was kind of shocked they dropped <clears throat> to number 12. I thought, you know, maybe 9, 10, even 11 would make a little bit of yeah. sense. Uh, you look at – I know they don't matter anymore, but the AP poll and the coaches poll, those are voted on by coaches or more oftentimes SIDs. And then the, the AP poll was voted on by media members. Alabama was number nine in both of those polls. So I thought that was maybe – you know, pretty good landing spot, maybe a couple of spots, but but 12, I mean, to fall seven spots um, and, and be ranked behind Auburn, who has three losses, I understand that, that Auburn won the game, but, um, you know, Alabama sitting there with, with two losses and uh, behind a three-loss team, and that's just something I don't think anybody really envisioned would happen and, and be the reality going into this season. But, um, you know, with with that, I mean, it's, it's the lowest ranking Alabama's had since the CFP uh, – has started since it's been in existence. And, um, you know, the previous low was number six, and that was back in the uh, the first ever rankings back in 2014. So it's quite a dip. And um, you, you look at where it sits just among SEC teams, uh, it's the fifth highest ranked team. So you had obviously LSU State put at number two, so did Georgia at number four. Um, you had Florida at number nine, and like I said, Auburn was ranked ahead of Alabama at number 11. So when it comes to bowl games you have to imagine that LSU is a lock to make the CFP and um, you know that's assuming they beat Georgia but even if they lose to uh, Georgia Georgia would get in the CFP I think at this point because they're still ranked number four Um, but you got to think the Tigers are in CFP and say they they beat Georgia Georgia will most likely go to the Sugar Bowl and then you still have Florida and Auburn up for grabs with the um, the orange in the cotton bowl so right now alabama's realistic bowl game would be the citrus bowl down in orlando that's kind of the next best bowl game so it it, it kind of sheds some light on that you got to see how things play out you have selection sunday coming up this weekend but as of right now that's just kind of where things sit things can change teams can lose you have a bunch of those teams ahead of them that are going to be playing this weekend so they can move up some spots but when it comes to the sec there's only two teams playing and, and that could very well be the place they go is orlando yeah, that's what it kind of felt like coming out of those rankings. And also, I think maybe you had some confirmation on exactly how strong Alabama was at a number five going into last weekend. Because as you pointed out, the fall as far as it did after losing a three-point game on the road with its backup quarterback uh, in there uh, in a tough environment, uh, you know, we had heard going into last week, coming out of last week's rankings, the last couple of weeks that look, you know, Alabama is fifth, but it's a pretty hollow fifth uh, when it comes down to it. If it ultimately comes down to Utah or or Oklahoma or and Oklahoma as one loss conference champs, you were going to see Alabama, even with a win over Auburn, uh, likely get uh, vaulted 
for that number four spot uh, in the college football playoff. So, and also maybe the way that, uh, you know, the, the committee looked at Alabama without Tua Tonga Vailoa. Uh, maybe it was a combination of those things that led to a seven spot drop after a loss to a top 15 team on the road, again, with your backup quarterback behind center and you lose by a three. Um, so when we talk about bowl possibilities in, in the Citrus and potentially a matchup with Jim Harbaugh in the Michigan Wolverines, hey, look, here's what I'll tell you about that, too. If you want to put television ratings for Alabama-Michigan, if it goes that way in the Citrus against some of these New Year's Six games, <laughs> I think I think Alabama-Michigan in the Citrus is going to blow some of those. You know, if a Cotton Bowl ends up with Memphis and Florida or – you know, uh, even an Orange Bowl with uh, a similar matchup with an ACC team uh, and, and say, Florida. You know, the Citrus Bowl has to be salivating right now. And, and they're all owned pretty much by ESPN. So uh, it's all to the good of the, the worldwide leader regardless. But, you know, when you talk about guys that in that scenario and you see the mock drafts now and you see eight or nine Alabama players in some of these first round mocks, Charlie, uh, you got to think from that perspective, a team that's already light due to injuries uh, throughout the season could be even uh, lighter in, in the bowl game. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I think they're going to be some really interesting decisions made over the next you know couple weeks. Um, you know, they're fresh off that Iron Bowl uh, loss. I'm sure there are guys that have you know made up their mind already, but you know there's there's time. Um, you know, we haven't even got to selection Sunday yet. They don't know what bowl game they're going to play in, even though I think we have a decent idea at the moment. So uh, um, there, there's a lot of guys that are going to be faced with decisions of whether to turn pro, and uh, on top of that, whether they're going to you know play another game in Crimson. Because if they decide to turn pro, they're obviously um, going to get a grade good enough to to potentially be a first round draft pick, maybe a second or third round draft pick. And uh, that's life-changing money, and you don't want to have any kind of injury or anything like that to, to change that and to um, you know, change up the course of, of your career. And um, I think some guys are going to have to make some tough decisions, and there's a lot of them that are going to have to be made. You look at offense, I know we've talked about it before, but um, all three receivers uh, have a good chance to be first-round draft picks or you know first- or second-round draft picks. Uh, Najee Harris, I don't know if his stock could get any higher right now the way that he's closed the season. Um, you look at the the guys on the offensive line, uh, the two offensive tackles, Alex Leatherwood and Jedrick Wills. Um, those are guys that have been projected as, as first-round picks. Defensively, uh, you have a ton of seniors on that side of the ball, guys like Raquan Davis, uh, Jared Maiden, Shaheem Carter, Trayvon Diggs, Anthony Jennings. Um, you got to think some of those guys would probably suit up. I know after the Iron Bowl, uh, Jared Maiden um, was kind of asked, not necessarily the question we're talking about right now, but uh, basically, you know, how do you get motivated for, um, you know, a, what will essentially be a, a meaningless bowl game in terms of the expectations that Alabama has each and every year. And, uh, you know, he basically said, if you're not wanting to compete and dominate and play the Alabama standard, then uh, you don't need to be on the field. And so uh, I think a guy like Jared Maiden would probably play, but you have other seniors that are going to have choices and then juniors, you know, guys like Xavier McKinney. Um, you know, he's a player that I think has been Alabama's most consistent on that side of the football. And, um, you know, he's going to have a draft decision to make too. So 
Uh, there and, and Terrell Lewis, the same goes for him. He's a redshirt yeah. junior that took part in senior day, and I think that pretty much shows where his mind is at in, in terms of this. And uh, for a guy that's had injury history, um, it, it is going to be uh, interesting to see how a lot of these play out. And uh, I'm sure we'll hear a lot of that as soon as you know they they get the bowl game situated and we get some availability and get some of those guys in there and even talk to Nick Saban. But it's going to be busy just in terms of keeping up with these and. It'll probably lead to an even less eventful um, January when you have the chair watch when the guys right. make their decision right before the, the January 20th deadline. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of decisions to be made, and it's going to be really intriguing to see how it all shakes out. Yeah, and as you just pointed out, without the college football playoff uh, as a part of the postseason for this program for the first time uh, in its existence, you know, five straight appearances – uh, the process in general, and we know how much Nick Saban loves his regimen. Um, and I think in a lot of years, bef- but, but this is something that is, this is a trend that has really started since Alabama started that run in the college football playoff. It started with guys like Christian McCaffrey of Stanford, Leonard Fournette of LSU. Well, w- when that started to, to, to happen, you know, Alabama, it, it wasn't an issue because Alabama was in the college football playoff. So, Alabama is kind of dipping its toe in the pool when it comes to some of this stuff because uh, it wasn't a, a topic really uh, back in 2013, even when Alabama went to the Sugar Bowl to take on Oklahoma. So, yeah, the, the process, right? Um, you know, an understanding earlier in, in sort of how this plays out, I, I would think, would be uh, made clear to us here. Uh, in December rather than January over there at the uh, Malmore Athletic Facility when you typically see those announcements formalized uh, right up there at the uh, the January decision date for entry into the NFL draft. Now, speaking of that, and we're going to get to some best and worst of the 2019 regular season coming up in just a little bit here on Tide Talk presented by the Built by Bama online podcast, Tua Tonga Vailoa. It was a Tua Tuesday, I guess you could say, Charlie, as the junior quarterback was made available to a couple of outlets. Now, we anticipate that Tua is going to speak to uh, more outlets as the week moves on, Um, but Tua, among them, with Kirk Herbstreet on Tuesday afternoon, sat down and discussed you know, scenarios, potential scenarios for his future. And, you know, based on Tua's comments, uh, Tua claims that he has not made uh, a a final decision on what he's going to do coming off that hip surgery. Um, You saw the interview, Charlie, with Kirk Herbstreet. Did you come away from that thinking that maybe there's more of a possibility, an actual possibility of Tua playing another game for Alabama? than maybe you would have thought going into that interview? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, the way that, that Tua handled himself in that, um, I think that's a situation where, yes, ESPN probably reached out and, you know, wanted to to talk to Tua, who doesn't these days. But you know, for Tua to do that, he has a message to convey, and that's that he hasn't made his mind up yet. I think a lot of people have kind of um, made that decision for him in the media and, um, you know, he's one that's going to truly consider uh, all his options. And he he talked about the risk and rewards of, of everything, um, you know, whether it's coming back. You, you look at things like, you know, does he get hurt again? And the reward would be, you know, maybe he can 
play and you know obviously rehab a, a lot more and then uh, improve that draft stock and, and maybe be the number one pick uh, like a lot of people thought he would be after this season. Um, you know the the risk and rewards of, of leaving would be that you leave some money on the table and the reward would be obviously you, you do get that money. So it's going to be a business decision and one that he and his family makes. And the family does play a big part in that, but he's been adamant that it's going to be his decision. And uh, I think, yeah, going into it, you kind of just felt that Tua was gone. Um, you know, the way that people have talked, whether it's been uh, other media members or even you know Nick Saban and the players, it just kind of felt like that. It's almost felt like a funeral just because, you know, they've talked about him a lot in past tense and his career and his accomplishments and things like that. But this, you know, leaves the door open. You know, I'd still be a little surprised if he chooses to come back just because, uh, yeah, I think he is still considered to be uh, a first-round draft pick, but um, you know this is certainly interesting. The one thing I think we're going to have him available to everybody um, on Thursday later this week, and that's you know tentative, but I feel pretty good about it at this point now that he's been um, you know made available to a couple of people. But the one thing that I want to ask is wherever you're going to be next year, whether it's in the NFL or still in Tuscaloosa, you know what is the plan for, for playing? Because yeah, he could come back to Alabama, but you know, he, he could choose to spend the entire season rehabbing that hip and, um, you know, getting healthy because he is kind of been injury prone throughout his career. And you don't want to jeopardize that by coming back and playing a full season and, you know, getting injured again or, or hurting something else even worse. But, um, I think I want to know where his mindset is of where, um, doctors have told him, you know, when he's going to be able to be back on the field and what his plans are for next season. Because uh, if he if he does choose to come back, I know a lot of Alabama fans will be excited, but the next question is, well, do you plan on playing next year? So uh, there's a lot more to find out about Tua, and, and hopefully uh, we will get that availability le- uh, later this week, and he'll shed some light on those things. Yeah, and also I would anticipate Tua being asked if, in fact, you did come back and played at Alabama in 2020 would you have loss of value insurance, which yeah. we learned he didn't have in 2019. Uh, and look, to a Tonga the Tonga the don't need any advice from me. Uh, but not only would I go ahead and get the loss of value insurance, I might see if I could get that athletic department over at UA to pick up the tab. And uh, I think that would be a, what do you think, a wise gesture? By UA, if uh, if he's 50-50 on coming back and uh, you're able to offer him at no cost to him and his family loss of value insurance, I, I think I would put that on the table. I'm, I'm sure Nick Saban has probably already thought of it in advanced terms like that. It was something Deshaun Watson received uh, from Clemson going into his junior season a few years back. Uh, yeah, it is. It's a business. I think that's the point we're making here. Um, and, uh, he, he still has to get a lot of feedback, I'm sure from NFL clubs. Um, he's outlined very specifically to the dollar amount. He could be looking at losing and money. He couldn't, uh, ultimately get back if he does take a precipitous drop in the NFL draft for 2020. So a lot goes into the pot when you start trying to make a decision coming off the sort of injury uh, and the injury history that he has, really, uh, in general, looking ahead. Both a couple different, two different ways to look at it from his perspective, no doubt. Uh, with that, Charlie, let's get into some best and worst from the 2019 regular season. Let's start right there with the offensive MVP for the Alabama Crimson Tide, 
in 2019. Uh, who's your pick? Yeah, I, I thought about you know picking somebody else, but it's it has to be Tua. I know he only played in, in nine games, but you know, he leads the nation right now in passer rating. <laughs> which is, is pretty crazy. And uh, he still ranks among the top 10 quarterbacks in the entire country in you know, uh, yards per passing attempt. He's second with 11.3 in passing yards per game, which is uh, 315.6. That ranks fourth. Uh, he's tied for fifth with passing touchdowns with 33. And um, he's also tied for fifth in completion percentage. So it, even though I know he was hampered by injury, um, he had a phenomenal season. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of people have been um, down in the dumps about this season and, and wondering if there's any kind of broad spot to remember. Uh, but before his injury, this offense was just on a collision course to be the best uh, in program history. And two was set to you know rewrite the record book that he rewrote last year. And uh, I know that he obviously missed three starts and um, you know a couple second halves because of injury, but you know, just to watch him play was was really entertaining. Uh, I would be happy if he came back next year, just from a, a selfish coverage standpoint, because he's a lot of fun to watch. But this offense was just obviously better with him on the field. I thought Mac did a great job at Auburn, save for the two pick sixes. Those are two lofty and costly turnovers that kind of dampered that. that um, debut on the road for him but you know two is just different and uh you know i think he's probably a guy that um when alabama has its awards banquet this weekend um he's going to get a lot of those he might even get a team captain award um and, and i think just with what he did on the field and what he brought to that offense um it's, it's hard not to pick anybody else yeah you don't want to overlook some worthy candidates on the offensive side of the ball but when you look at the foot and handprints and names around Denny Chimes, doesn't Tua Tonga-Vailoa have to be included in that mix, Charlie? I think so. Um, I, we've we've kind of seen the way it's going because a lot of the times, um, you know, you'll be, you see before the game that the captains always lead the, the team through Bama Jags. And pretty consistently lately, it's been Xavier McKinney, Anthony Jennings, which I think those guys are, are pretty much locks just because they've led the defense all year long after the injury to Dylan Moses. And then Landon Dickerson has been up there pretty consistently. I think he's kind of uh, brought a different attitude to that uh, offensive line, and a lot of people look to him as a tone setter, um, even though he is kind of popular for that extracurricular activity. But having said that, the thing whenever Tua went down, um, you know, everyone knows that Tua is a great player. But everybody talked about what kind of person and what kind of leader he is. And I think just that positive impact he has in the locker room, uh, I think a lot of players could go to that and confidently write to his name down, even though he's not around the team as much anymore and, and missed so many games. Yeah, I would be very shocked if he's not a captain. And there are certainly some some worthy candidates for MVP discussion. I'm with you. For me, it's two. Uh, I, he's missed three games this season and. And certainly the, the the last couple after the injury against Mississippi State, but he stayed number one in my top 12 titers. Put it that way, uh, that <laughs> didn't change uh, even with him absent the last couple of games. But you know, Devontae Smith obviously with a career year, 1,200 receiving yards. I think an argument just for the second half of the season, Charlie, could be made for Najee Harris. Um, you know, if, if we're just breaking down seasons into halves or uh, thirds or things like that. Najee's been great, but impossible to look away from Tua Tonga-Vailoa 
uh, as this team's offensive MVP. And not only that, and, and this isn't to devalue what Mac Jones did Saturday against Auburn, but in watching Mac Jones do what he did, you're kind of sitting there wondering, God, I mean, does Tua throw for 600 yards <laughs> in, in this? Seriously, I mean, six, seven touchdowns possibly against that Auburn defense with those receivers. I mean, it, it, it left one to wonder for sure. Let's move to the defensive side of the ball, Charlie. Let's get your defensive MVP for Alabama in 2019. Yeah, I kind of hinted at it earlier, but I have to go with Xavier McKinney. Um, yeah, he forced a fumble. Um, recently, and now he leads the SEC and ranks third nationally with four of those. Uh, he also ranks, uh, I think, sixth in the SEC with three interceptions. He's 10th in the conference in tackles with 85, leads the team in that category. And uh, he's just been consistent all year long. Uh, um, he's had to make up uh, a lot of ground and, and covered a lot of space with those young uh, linebackers in front of him. Uh, and he's, he's really the quarterback of that. Secondary, and I think he's taken on a lot of signal call roles with the entire defense, just helping them get situated and uh, cleaning up a lot of their mistakes. Um, you, know, you see him, a guy will break free, and, and 15's usually there to stop him or run him out of bounds. And so I think, um, you know, for me, X is a, an easy pick. Uh, I, I hate that um, he's probably going to be remembered by a lot of people uh, for that play in the Iron Bowl where his helmet got knocked off. But it wasn't like X was, you know, laying there flat on his back with his helmet off. His, his helmet got oh. knocked off. He got trucked by a bowling ball type running back. And um, and there were and I, there were ten other guys on the field that you know could have showed up too. But that's true. As, yeah. as was the case, probably to a fault this season, right? A lot of times this season. How many times did we see it, Charlie? It was Xavier McKinney or no one, in, 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 at that sort of five to seven yard level into the Alabama defense. No doubt. I mean, he's been a headhunter and um, he's had to play multiple roles, not just what he does at the safety position and money and dime, but he's had to to be a linebacker, really. And um, I think if if say say something happened to Xavier McKinney earlier in the season, this defense would have been lost. Yeah. Um, you know, they didn't. Um, you know, play that well against LSU and, and against Auburn. And if they didn't have 15, it would have been a lot worse. So, yeah, for me, X is X is the easiest pick on this list. Um, I, I think Anthony Jennings was someone that I thought about for a second. But, you know, I, yeah. I think just what Xavier has been able to do all season long, he was an easy pick. Yeah, when you talk about from a standpoint of running the show from the back end of the defense – Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, uh, Xavier McKinney on top of the tangible uh, production that, that we saw from him this year, really tough not to go with, but I'll put Anthony Jennings up there with him. You know, Anthony Jennings, uh, 73 total tackles. That's a lot for an outside linebacker had 12 for loss, seven and a half sacks led Alabama and TFLs and sacks, eight quarterback hurries, 10 time defensive player of the week honoree by the Alabama staff out of 12 games. Um, and, and, and if there was kind of an alpha type down in and down out in that front seven, it was certainly Anthony Jennings. I would say this, we talked about this before on the podcast, 
you know, you've had years at Alabama where you've had five, six, seven, maybe eight guys that you felt like at any time could come up big for Alabama on the defensive side of the ball. This year, there were really two. Uh, yes, you know, you look at Terrell Lewis's stat line, uh, 16 quarterback hurries, uh, was up there with Anthony Jennings and tackles for loss and sacks. But I'm talking about down in, down out, game in, game out. Two most dependable guys on the defensive side of the ball, not just production and uh, you know highlight type plays from time to time. No doubt about it. Xavier McKinney and Anthony Jennings. Let's talk about special teams MVP. I don't think this one is probably going to be all that difficult, uh, Charlie, uh, given the performance of a certain individual as recent as last Saturday on the planes. No, uh, <laughs> Jalen Waddle has uh, pretty much locked this one up. And you've had a bunch of different guys at the specialist position. So, you know, that's got to be said. I think if Will Record maybe um, had continued on the trajectory he was on early on with both kicking and punting, uh, he might have been a guy that could uh, get some get some love here. But, you know, Waddle, um, you know, he's Alabama's primary punt returner. He leads the nation in punt return yards with 24, uh, uh, 0.95, so almost 25 yards a a return and um you know that's five six seven yards more than the second place guy and so he, he's been really electric as a punt returner but then you know this weekend with a guy like uh, henry rugg still kind of battling bruised ribs they put him in there as a kickoff returner and he takes one to the house so he's just electric back there uh, he's a game changer at that position and um i think that that's going to be a lot of fun to watch and Hopefully teams will continue to kick it to him next year. Uh, I know it's not in the best interest of the opponent, but when they do, you always kind of hold your breath because you know he can take any of those back. Yeah, pending Tua's decision as it relates to potentially coming back to Alabama or going to the National Football League, um, Waddle may be Alabama's top Heisman Trophy candidate for 2020 Ooh. because – of what he does in the return game, especially if they allow him to do both punts and kickoffs in addition to what he's going to do working from the slot on offense. So uh, you got a pretty good taste of all that. I would say last Saturday at Auburn, I'm with you impossible to go any other way than Jalen Waddle for special teams. Although I would like to acknowledge guys like Ali Cahoe, some really good core special teams players, right? Even guys like Henry Ruggs III, you know, if we wanted to talk about just the best all-around football player on this team, you know, not maybe MVP in one particular area or things like that, I'd put Henry Ruggs III up there with just about anybody Alabama's got. But some some guys that make those contributions, Charlie, that, you know, sort of go unnoticed, whether it's blocking in the return game or making tackles, getting down in coverage, Um you know, I thought Alabama's kickoff coverage this year was, without looking at the numbers right now, uh, was really good uh, for the punting situation to be what it was. Um, didn't really get burned too bad by that. So that speaks to those guys that sort of fill those multiple roles uh, in returns and coverage. It does, and that's the thing, too, is a lot of the people maybe don't want to play special teams. So uh, I think the guys that approach it with good attitudes are the ones you see out there uh, contributing and contributing on a, uh, a high-performance uh, basis. Uh, Kaho, yeah, he's he's a guy that I know it's been since, what, October 12th that he last blocked a kick, but he's still tied for the national lead in, in that category. 
Uh, I think guys like Terrell Shavers um, showed out a lot of special teams this year. He's a guy that's uh, on that punt return team. I think he's on kickoff returns. Um, a guy like Daniel Wright, he's a guy that lines up on kickoffs, and he's always one of the first guys back there unless he's lined up at that safety position. So um, there's there's a lot of players to do that. And, yeah, I think Henry Ruggs is a guy that's willing to do anything for this team. And um, this it's almost there's there's almost too many to name on on this team that do that. A guy like Slade Bolden, uh, um, Jordan yeah. Battle, the true freshman, he was on all four teams. I keep up with how much the the freshmen are on the field, and he's a guy that was on all four of the teams every time. So there's there's a there's a long list of those guys that are willing to contribute on special teams, and yeah, I think they deserve some credit too. Yeah, those core four guys are extremely extremely valuable um let's get into a newcomer of the year and in the transfer portal era you know you almost have to break it down a couple different ways because of grad transfers because of the influence that true freshmen have on teams uh throughout power five football now even more so than even 15 20 years ago let's hear it let's get your newcomer of the year for the alabama crimson tide I think I know which way you're going to go, so I'll just change it up because there are multiple guys I think that are deserving of this. And I'll go Evan Neal at left guard. Uh, you know, he's a guy that came in as a five-star prospect, um, you know, kicked over to guard after being a tackle and started all 12 games. Uh, I thought he got better as the year progressed. He kind of had some you know, freshman moments early on. That's to be expected. Uh, but I think he really settled into that role, and he's a guy that – you know, could play multiple positions next year. I think depending on what happens with the tackles, he could kick out to left tackle um, or right tackle, and um, he could stay at guard if, if those guys decide to come back and they have a better option at, at tackle. But I think he's clearly one of the five best linemen on the team. Um, that was evident from the get-go where you know, he's working with the first group, and he's just a, a mammoth human being that I think is, um, like I said, gradually progressive over the course of the season. And and really came on strong toward the end. So, yeah, for me, I'd probably go with Evan Neal. There's a ton of freshmen that played. I know um, in the Western Carolina game, I, I counted 19 true freshmen. So they used a lot of them. But, um, you know, he's a guy that started every game. I thought played a really high level. Yeah, I'm going to go Landon Dickerson as the grad transfer coming in from Florida State. And, yes, this is a guy who spent three years previously at a Power 5 program. But still, not only to come in, but to come in in the summer. No, this wasn't a guy that had the benefit of spring practice back in March and April, but to show up in the middle of the summer, basically, and to not only win a starting job, but to eventually take over at perhaps the most critical spot up front. I mean, when you talk about communication and all those things, there's no question about it, the center position. So I'm going to go Landon Dickerson. I would say this about it. Uh, there. Evan Neal, Lana Dickerson, good picks. But for this team to be more of what it needed to be, probably needed this pick, Charlie, to be on the defensive side of the ball, right? Whether it was DJ Dale or one of those linebackers. And not to say that they didn't do some good things. And to be fair, uh, tough spots, all those guys were put in. Um, but but it, it didn't happen, I guess, to the level as unrealistic as it may have been to 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 have to have thought that possible um it didn't happen at level i guess on the defensive side no and i thought those guys played better as the year progressed too uh guys like shane lee and christian harris in the middle of that defense um you know i, I think shane lee 
probably needs a, a little bit more time in the program just because he is just he came in looking like an Alabama linebacker from 2010, and yeah. uh, he's a thumper. And uh, I always wondered why Christian Harris didn't play more of like the Mac linebacker spot just because he's a guy that came from a, a background of defensive back in high school. But I think Shane Lee just has a good grasp of the defense, but it's still just a lot to ask of a true freshman to come in there and, and be the quarterback of of all 11 players and guys that have been in the program for a long time. So um, I thought those guys were just the, the expectations or the responsibility, I guess is a better way to say it. That was placed on them from the get go was a lot. And, you know, Christian Harris is a guy that came in the summer too. Um, not as late as Landon Dickerson. He was there the day before fall camp started, but um, guys like him um, had to grasp the, the defense quickly and they were kind of forced into duty because of, because of injuries. And um, that's always a tall task. And, you know, that's something a lot of people are going to look back on this season. They're going to have a lot of what ifs and, and what could have been, but um, the, the injuries that happened on defense were just unfortunate, and I thought the guys that filled in did the best they could, and, and they are true freshmen. They're going to make those mistakes, but um, I, I thought from if you look from game one to, to game 12, I know the Auburn game is one a lot of people want to forget, but they made improvement over the course of the season, no doubt. Yeah, I think in a perfect world, you could have combined Lee's background at linebacker and his grasp of the defense – and the skill set of Christian Harris in one guy. Uh, you didn't have that luxury, but no doubt about it. I mean, there is rewards to be reaped uh, in the coming years because of the lumps that some of these guys certainly took in the front seven. And look, we don't know with DJ Dale what could have been. We saw DJ Dale fairly healthy against Duke, and all he did was take home SEC defensive lineman of the week honors after the season opener but then he has another knee injury and uh that really derailed what again we'll never know could have been a uh first year for dj dale in the middle of that defensive line uh best performance charlie by an assistant coach on this alabama staff in 2019 who you got yeah it's tough um yeah i think a guy like charles huff deserves some credit for um, you know, what he did with the running backs, you're obviously losing a guy before the season and Trey Sanders, who I thought would have been uh, a big time contributor, but, you know, to, to shape Najee Harris and help him along, uh, he's a guy that gained more experience as the year went on. And, uh, I thought he played really well of late. I think Charles Huff deserves to be in the conversation, but I would probably give it to Sark. I know you're handed the keys to, um, you know, a, a, an amazing sports car and arsenal of weapons, but, um, you know, to see what he did, not only with Tua and, you know, getting a lot of these guys to football and, and really leaning on the running game and making it a balanced attack. But what he did with Mac, I think, is what was the tipping point for me, because, um, you know, I thought Mac played really well in his first two starts. And I thought he like we've talked about on this podcast, Mac did a really good job at Auburn, save for the two pick sixes and the um, the 100 yard return or 98 yard return, whatever is actually ruled. Um, you know, he was under pressure and, you know, you still yeah. shouldn't throw that football, but that was not as bad as the one he sailed over Jerry Judy. But uh, I think just what he's done with all the quarterbacks is, has been great. And he's, you know, he's kept the offense moving. A lot of people wondered, you know, can his offense be like what it was in 2018? Well, yes, yes, it can. And um, I know that's easy. And a lot of people would probably be like, well, that's an easy pick. But I think what he was able to do with the whole quarterback room and uh, getting Mac ready to, to play, I, I think uh, he deserves some credit there. Yeah, I like Sark as a pick there. So I'll go with Jeff Banks 
because I think special teams, you talk about everything, uh, an area this team went through, and even at tight end, you know, which mm-hmm. is his yeah. offensive position of responsibility with Miller Forstall going out like he did in the final month of the regular season. Uh, yes, Jalen Waddell is a generational type return guy. We get that, you know, for my kids' generation, he is what David Palmer was for the previous generation, um, just with probably another gear or two or three even when it comes to the ability to, uh, to separate. Um, and, and, and so Jalen Waddell was everything they thought he would be uh, in the return game. As you said, le- leads the nation uh, in punt return, had the 98-yarder as a kickoff return guy um, against Auburn last Saturday. And then to have to deal with, losing really what may have well have been your starting kicker and punter in Will Reichard. Um, you know, to, to have to try to sort through that and you end up with Ty Pirine, a, a walk on, uh, Joe Bulavis ends up taking over your placements, all of your placements. Um, so I'll go with Jeff Banks, but I'm with you on Sark. I, I thought he did a, a really nice job throughout the course of the season. Now, best team performance in a game this year. Charlie, uh, which game, what was the best performance by this Alabama team in the 2019 season? This was actually kind of hard. Um, just because the defense is taking its lumps and the offense has kind of done the same thing each and every week, but I, I guess it would be the Southern Miss game. I know Alabama fans are probably like, Oh great. That's, that's the one. But, uh, you look at it two had five touchdowns in that game. Um, I thought the defense, you know, you're not going against a a very formidable opponent, but, you know, Southern Miss had a pretty decent passing game and, um, you know, they limited their, their receivers, um, to, to pretty much nothing. Um, you know, overall they had 52 rushing yards, 174 passing yards, so 226 overall, just from a, um, what the defense allowed standpoint. And then Alabama was able to put up over 175 yards on the ground, 338 yards passing. Like I said, two had five touchdowns. If you're just looking for a complete performance, I think that's the one. You obviously look at some of the, the other games. Um, you know, I think Tennessee played better as the year progressed. They, they beat them 35-13. Um, you know, what Alabama was able to do at Mississippi State in the second half after losing Tua to not allow any points. I think the defense probably played its best game there, but just from a complete performance and, and you look at that, like Alabama played a damn good game that game. And I would probably go Southern Miss. Yeah. Southern Miss would be up there. Here's one that's kind of crazy to say it because Tua didn't play, but Arkansas, that was yeah. a dominant performance really in just about every area of the game, 48 to seven. It's a bad Arkansas team, uh, an Arkansas team that, uh, hasn't won a, an SEC game now in two-plus seasons. You, you're right, though, in that you could find stretches like halves where this team was really, really good. If Tua doesn't get hurt two minutes to go in the second quarter at Mississippi State, I might have Mississippi State as that game. 38-7 to seven, um, in terms of just 28 minutes of football. Uh, before Tua goes down, and really the defense throughout that game played well. Um, so I'll go with Mississippi State. Uh, Arkansas is just awful, so it, it's hard sure. to do that. But uh, I'll go with Mississippi State on the road, and that's considering obviously, uh, you know, uh, the, the horrific events of that early 
afternoon there in Starkville with the injury to Tua Tonga Bailoa. Worst performance of the 2019 season, Charlie, by this Alabama football team. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the two losses, and it's crazy because you look at it, and if Alabama just doesn't make one or two of the very uncharacteristic mistakes it made in both of those games. It could be very well 12 and 0 right now. I mean that's that's a realistic possibility. I mean you look at it, they lost by a combined what eight points in those games. Mm-hmm. And um, if if you know you don't if Tua doesn't throw or lose the football like he does in the LSU game, um, and, and Mac Jones doesn't throw these interceptions, you're looking at it completely differently. But I, I think the LSU game um, for me is probably it because. The defense just couldn't stop anything. Uh, they gave up 559 points, 46 points at home. Uh, I know LSU is a really good offense, uh, but uh, with the combination of what Joe Burrow was doing, both with his arms and his legs, and then you had a, a career game from uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, um, it, it just has to be that one. Just Because in the Auburn game, um, the defense – did some nice things. Um, you know, Auburn's offense isn't anywhere near as good as LSU's, but I just think that LSU game, um, that was probably the one for me just because of, of how much they were giving up and just kind of the nature of it. Yeah, from the scores to really failures in all three phases of the game, boy, LSU and Auburn were eerily similar, weren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Waddle made big plays. In the return game, uh, you know, you had some really good things in the passing game uh, against LSU, and you had some really bad things in the passing game against LSU. Same for the Auburn game. So they're close for me. Um, You know, Tennessee, if I hadn't seen Tennessee really turn it on down the stretch, I don't think I don't think Alabama was very good at Tennessee uh, against Tennessee. And that's understanding in that game, too. Uh, you had an injury to Tua Tonga in the second quarter uh, of that one. Uh, and the way the Ole Miss game ended with the Rebels running the football, John Rice Plumley, which we count, we come to learn later as the season wears on, this dude is going to run the football against a lot of teams, including LSU, uh, to an even larger extent than what he did. Uh, against Alabama so yeah I guess a couple different ways to look at it worst performances versus toughest losses but you're right in the two biggest games of the season again you had some some pretty large failures uh, in in all three phases of the game of those losses Um, let's talk about best individual performance in a game what do you got there who do you got with the best individual performance in a game this season yeah, this one didn't take very long at all. It's it's Devontae Smith against Ole Miss. Um, he was a man possessed that game. He had 11 catches, 274 yards, and five touchdowns. Yeah. Um, that's a guy that, yeah, that's yeah. a guy that probably needed a, a good bit of oxygen after that one. But that one, you know, it it's a game that just it sticks out. And Najee Harris had a bunch of really big games, and I'm sure you might highlight some of those. But as soon as you told me this one, I automatically just it kind of like <laughs> the the offensive defenses and the special MVPs. I was like Smitty's game against Ole Miss, just because uh, yeah. you're sitting there and um, you're in the press box and you hear a bunch of people just you know 
say things like seriously and I can't believe he did that again, things like that. It was just um, it was one of those special games where you just can tell um, a guy's hot. And, and then his teammates were just so happy for him because a lot of people talked about um, you know, this receiving core going to see and how dangerous it was, how deep it was. And they're all just happy to see all the other guys um, do well. And that was the case in that game as well. So, yeah, Smitty's huge performance against Ole Miss was a no-brainer for me. Yeah, I mean, that's historic. You know, I mean, that's stuff that Julio Jones hasn't done. Amari Cooper hasn't done. Um, you know, you, you can talk about any of the greats you want uh, at that position, and it it was one of a kind. But you know what? I'm going to go with Jalen Waddell this past Saturday. Yeah, that's a good um, one. Because, and, and, and I might even look at Devontae's performance against LSU uh, just because of the competition compared to Ole Miss. But uh, I'm going with Jalen because – on a team full of stars, this dude carried Alabama, you know? I mean, and and, and really other than a quarterback, and certainly a quarterback like Tua Tagovailoa, you don't see a non-quarterback carry teams like Jalen Waddell did. I think he touched the ball. How many touches did he have Saturday? He had seven touches between kickoff returns and reception Saturday. And four of those went for touchdowns. Um, he averaged 24 and a half yards per catch. He had the 98 yard kickoff return. Yeah. You know, look, uh, I, I'm not going to sit here and try to tell you that uh, you can surpass what Devante did against Ole Miss. That's an all time performance. But in terms of picking up his team in a game on the road against a top 15 opponent, uh, and Jalen Jalen Waddle was that was that man on Saturday down on the plains. Um, we'll wrap it up with this, and it is Tide Talk on a Tuesday night with Travis Ryer and Charlie Potter of the BamaOnline.com staff. You can subscribe to the Built by Bama Online podcast at iTunes and your other podcast outlets of choice. Turning point in the 2019 regular season, Charlie was. I think there were two crucial moments because we're sitting here um, on December 3rd. It's championship week. Alabama's not practicing. We haven't watched practice or talk to players. They're they're waiting to learn what bowl game they could play in, and it's probably not going to be a, a New Year's Six Bowl. So there are two big moments, and uh, one of them happened in preseason camp with the injured Dylan Moses, and the other was the Mississippi State game with the hip injury to Tua Tonga-Vailoa. Uh, we've talked a lot on this podcast about important players. Uh, I break those down every offseason of you know ranking the top 25 most important players to Alabama success, and those guys were one and two, and it was honestly hard to, to rank them um, to, to decide which one was number one. Uh, you go with Tua just because of what he does from a quarterback standpoint, but we saw from what Alabama uh, did defensively that the loss of Dylan Moses was really big. You talked about um, the the perfect linebacker between Shane Lee and Christian Harris. The guy that you uh, described was Dylan Moses, but he has um, college experience under his belt as well. So uh, just just losing those two guys, I think, was a turning point. And um, you know, we've we've talked, and I, I mentioned it earlier about how people are going to look back on this season, and you know, the the story will be story will be story will be well will be hurt, yada yada yada. And um, I, I think those are just really big moments. Um, you, you hate to see it happen to Dylan because it happened the week of the Duke game, 
And then for Tua, you know, he's coming off of that ankle injury. And then um, when he goes down at first, you think he just has a bloody nose. And then you're you're thinking, oh, man, maybe he re-injured the ankle. But no, it was something completely different. So they're both really unfortunate events. And they turned out to be really unfortunate events for this uh, team this season. No doubt. Uh, I think, um, and, and look, in, in between those, you certainly had a, a handful that you could you could look. And the accumulation of them. Uh, obviously took a major toll on this team, but uh, no doubt about it. I mean, your 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 go-to guys on both sides of the football uh, don't make it to the Iron Bowl, and and in the case of Moses, don't make it to Duke. Um, so that those certainly have to be the the uh, two prime turning points uh, for this team. Uh, as we wrap up here, Charlie, what do you got? Anything else we want to get into? Now we had some interaction there on the round table tonight as we threw these topics out there. So maybe we'll uh, touch on a couple of those as we get out of here. Bama 22-12, he had the best play of the year. He offered up the best play of the year. He had Najee Harris's catch for a touchdown against LSU. I don't know. I thought Najee's catch and run against South Carolina may have been even better than that one. Um, he has the He has the team MVP. Team overall MVP, Charlie, is Jalen Waddell. That's interesting. Um, and an argument could be made for that, I think. Uh, Saban, 18. He checks in. Um, the worst moment of the season was lo- losing Tua. Killed our playoff hopes, which were low anyway because of the defense. And uh, he's got the best. he's got the best moment of the 2019 regular season as landing Bryce Young, the quarterback recruit <laughs> from Southern California. So that may sum up what kind of 12-game stretch it's been uh, for the Alabama Crimson Tide, but wanted to get a few of those in there too as we get out of here on a Tuesday night. Charlie, as always, great stuff. Uh, look forward to continuing coverage of Alabama football. And, hey, we got some basketball later this week, right? Stephen F. Austin team of uh pretty instant fame after the last week or so coming to coleman coliseum yeah i'm pretty sure nate oates and company will get asked about them quite a bit but we haven't talked to them since their trip out to the bahamas they went one and uh, two uh won a game against southern miss but lost to north carolina and iowa state and i just kind of gauge what the team's mindset is i think getting that win was um was big not being the eighth place team and going winless in the bahamas but uh, i'm sure they wanted to do more than that so uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, kind of where their their mind is going into this game because, yeah, the, the Lumberjacks are no pushover by any means. Yeah, I got a road trip to Penn State coming up as well. For Charlie Potter, I'm Travis Ryer. Thanking you for joining us on Tide Talk on a Tuesday night. Stick with us there at BamaOnline.com. Thanks a bunch. Have a great rest of your evening. You ready for this? Yeah. If is the most original and heartfelt movie in years. Magic like this comes around once in a lifetime. This Friday, experience it with your whole family. Can we do it again? If. Ready PG.